Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It is Friday, January 22nd uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska. We are battening down the hatches for snow. We're expecting some snow coming in pretty soon, so um, prepare ourselves for uh, sheltering in place, I guess. But um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining me. First of all, I'd like to thank my sponsors, as always, CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the folks at CCS. Thank you, guys. Your support is much appreciated. The Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Jim Cover, and all the consultants down in uh, Lincoln, well, I guess all over the state. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I am really excited about today's episode. We've been kind of talking about this, planning this for quite a long time. It's something that I think you will really enjoy. We are starting our OSHA Insiders series today, which is uh, basically just discussions with folks that have done some time with OSHA. And not like that's a like a sentence or anything, but those of us that have spent time with OSHA in some capacity. Um, and I think that would be really interesting, hearing things from the perspective of someone who has worked for OSHA uh, rather than just talking about regulations and policies and things. Maybe, you, can, you know, you might find it interesting to hear uh, how we viewed things from the inside, so to speak. So my guest today is Ian Poole. Um, Ian uh, has become a friend of mine. We, we kind of took similar paths, but we never worked together until now, actually, and um, have mutual friends in the agency and um, have done similar jobs. But I'm excited. He's back in town here in Omaha. He's started his own business, Flagship Safety Consulting, uh, doing something similar to, to me and, and the rest of the consultants in town. Better. I mean, you know, not, not like the rest of the consultants in town. Better than the rest of the consultants in town, but having had that OSHA experience. But welcome, to, welcome back to Omaha, man, and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Doug. So appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, introduction there so this is not formal man you don't have to <laughs> and um sasha is happy to delete or bleep out any of our <laughs> you know of our uh mistakes so feel free to um let it fly so to speak but for those who don't know you would you and and i don't know your whole history either would you sure, give us just a sure. little overview of what your experience with osha was where you started and where you yeah ended? so um yeah, well, while we never exactly crossed paths in the same OSHA office, uh, we we did both work at, at the same region at the same time for a period before you departed. Uh, I started in 2009 uh, down in Wichita, Kansas, uh, within Region 7. I was compliance officer there, and uh, I guess, you know, that's where I sort of cut, cut my teeth with OSHA at the beginning. Um, and it just, think, I mean... Everything changes over time, but it just seems like I, I saw the agency go through a lot of changes, uh, even even in the early days of the Obama administration. Um, I was fortunate to be able to get on board with, with government at that time, and uh, you know they were expanding as part of the, I, I guess you maybe call it Obama's New Deal. I don't know how you'd mm -hmm. praise that, but yeah. but yeah. it was a it was a time of growth for OSHA. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot of, uh, down there. And then uh, in 2014, our family relocated to Omaha, and I was able to transfer into that office and was there for four years up until 2018, and at which point my family my, <laughs> my family's moved a lot over the years because of my wife's career. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
I was out there in Philadelphia in Region 3. Got to see how, how they do a little different on the East Coast mm-hmm. in a different region. Yeah, I'm um, interested to hear about that. I, yeah, well, you know, Philly uh, is the type of place that uh, it's it's uh, it's really changed from, you know, where it was a century, half a century ago. It used to be an industrial hub. Now it's kind of moved over to this more of a, you know, metropolis and a lot of residential construction, a lot of commercial construction, tear down, renew sort of thing going on there. So Mm -hmm. uh, that office was heavily focused on construction versus general industry. Gotcha. They still have cheesesteaks out there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. (laughs) My recommendation is gyms. Okay. Excellent. (laughs) Um. I I was uh, so. What brief- did you do out there? Were you a compliance officer initially out there? Yeah, or? initially I was I was briefly a compliance officer, um, and then thing about the East Coast, everything's jammed in and packed in together. So there was an opportunity to go work for the national office. Oh yeah, and uh, I thought, why not? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. why why not uh, go try something new? Kind of see more, learn more about the agency, how things work. Um, you know, I, when I started, I, I just always kind of assumed I, I would be a compliance officer. I just figured that that would be my, mm-hmm. my career, so to speak, but took the opportunity and it was humbled that I was selected from a field of candidates to go and work there. And I worked within the directorate of enforcement programs. Okay. Was Fairfax the man back then or was he gone by no, then? No, he, he'd, he'd retired uh, by then, and actually, the time I was there, they never did have um, a, a permanent uh, person in that role. Okay, um, they'd had you know the longtime deputy acting, uh, and I believe even up until this day, they still haven't filled that position. Yeah. I imagine now, you know, with the incoming administration, they probably want to quickly fill that position. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Previously. Uh, you know, they, they rotate a lot of people through for acting. Um, and you know, it's, a it's not an easy job to fill. So, um, but generally that's a position that they want somebody within the agency to fill. So who knows, you know, who knows what the next four years will bring, but. Well, so what was your position in, so you're working in EP, were you some kind of an analyst or what, Uh, what would you call that? Yeah, more or less. Um, I Were mean, you writing standards or no, no. So that, letters of interp maybe or something. Yeah. So across the hall was DSG, Director of Standards and Guidance, uh, and then I was over next door in enforcement programs. Mm-hmm. So primarily, what enforcement programs does? They're, they're sort of the they wear the many hats of OSHA at the national office. Um, they do deal with the letters of interpretation. Uh, and responding to correspondence that are forwarded or sent directly to the national office, whether it be from various um, labor groups or industry groups. I mean, we would regularly meet with people like the National Grain and Feed Association, uh, the Tree Care Industry of North Jess America. Jess McClure, our buddy Jess McClure. Yeah. Um, him uh, and uh, another uh, individual, Eric Kahn. So mm-hmm. I know he's... The attorney. He's, yes, yes. He's he's Absolutely. got uh he he's a very interesting fellow and, and I appreciated getting to, to meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh I came across paths with him in a couple different roles, you mm-hmm. know. Um Well he tends to uh I would I would label him as kind of an adversary 
to the agency in many in many situations. And I know Eric. I've met him. Yeah. We actually spoke on a program together. But he isn't um, necessarily always on the side of OSHA. No, no, he he's not. Um, but I think he's on the side of safety and health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he 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 does stand up for his clients. I think he's well known for that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I also saw he's a member of uh, a national alliance. Mm-hmm. You know, right, the the, right. the the grain and feed alliance. So, um, you know, sometimes we people sort of get this perspective that they think. Well, this person's uh, an attorney going against OSHA. They're 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 bad. That that's not the case at all. You know, they're they're out there working hard, just like every safety and health professional is. I agree. Is. Mm-hmm. I would agree. That's interesting. I I would agree with what you just said. Yeah. Um. So it it was a a lot of that type of work, and then any time that there's uh what OSHA would define as a novel case, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with a hazard that. Either they don't have a standard for your your five A one type hazards, mm-hmm. um, or you know things like workplace violence that mm-hmm. that OSHA you know they they definitely want to make sure the employers protect their employees if that's a real threat, but there there really isn't a clear path forward to enforcement on that. So um, anytime there is a novel case, I would get sent over to the national office at enforcement programs and. It would have to get their blessing before any anything enforcement wise would be issued, whether it be a five A one citation mm-hmm. or even a hazard alert letter, depending on what it is. Um, and uh, I departed before this whole COVID nineteen pandemic hit. Thank God. <laughs> but they they've been tasked with vetting all of those too as well. Mm-hmm. Letter letters coming out. Um, from the area offices, if they open up an inspection, and uh, I, I think they have issued a, a small number of 5A1 citations, um, maybe that's ramped up. I don't know. I haven't haven't been around for about four months. Mm-hmm. So and so there, you went back to Philly then from the national office. Yeah, the area office. Yeah. So I never I never actually moved out of Philly when oh, I didn't. when okay. I was working in the national office. It, I I had a, a rather lengthy commute back and, and forth <laughs> three days a week and the flexibility to telework work from home two days a week. Nice. Um, and looking back on that now, nowadays I don't think anybody's working in the national office. I think they're all working from home. They yeah. have been for seven or eight months now. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I uh, as, as some of my my colleagues in Philly, I, I, I used to ride the Biden Express train from <laughs> <laughs> catch, catch the Amtrak, uh-huh. you know. And uh, take it to to DC every day and and ride it back home. So how how long a commute was that? What did that take? Oh gosh, you know it was a two two and a half hour commute each day. Is one, that total one way? Are you serious? Uh, yeah. Oh dude, are you kidding me? But you know people people are like used to that out there. Wow. So uh, I mean it it wasn't uncommon for people to commute between Philly and New York City. You know oh I my mean God. Uh, I remember. When I was out there, um, before we got a permanent regional administrator in Region 3, we had uh, Rich Mendelson, who was a long time, uh, he was the deputy in Region 2 and then got promoted to the um, the RA position in Region 3. And he was doing double duty at that time. He was, doing, he was covering Region 2 and Region 3 as RA and acting RA. And oh, my God. He was back and forth. So. Oh, my poor guy. But... You know, 
Um, did you did you enjoy the national office time? I I went to the national office on two occasions. Yeah, as a representative of Omaha, and uh, it was really I, I really enjoyed it. There was um, as you, there just a, there was. I mean, maybe it's not the same now, but there was a certain majesty to being in D.C. <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a government yeah. official. I mean, it really felt like, wow, this is a big deal. And um, meeting with the national office folks, I gave a presentation to then Assistant, Assistant Secretary Henshaw. And, okay. uh, it, you know, I bought a suit, in fact, you know, I mean, yeah. all of that stuff. <laughs> it, did you enjoy your time there? Or? I, I did. Um, you know, I, as I found out over the, the past couple of years, uh, Plans always seem to be changing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, had had I uh, long term been able to relocate closer to the D.C. or Maryland area, I I probably would have stuck with it. But um, a few months later, a position opened up in back in Philadelphia for an assistant area director, and um, even though I'd I'd only been a co show in that office for a short amount of time about six months, um, you know, I, I built a pretty good relationship with the area director there. And, uh, you know, she, she'd had about the same number of years of experience as I did with the agency. And, uh, it, it was, uh, one long time IH in, in that office who has since retired industrial hygienist. And then, um, uh, I, I was the next senior person after that. It was it was really a, a crop of young compliance officers, and and she was really looking to hire somebody that had sort of the quote institutional knowledge of OSHA mm-hmm. to come and be assistant area director. Of so course, yeah, of course. So I, I jumped on that opportunity, um, and I saw it as another opportunity. Okay, you know, when I was working in the national office, it was great to get some perspective on some things, uh, but. Um, you know, I, I always enjoyed working in area office with compliance officers, uh, you know, being being with, with the troops and the boots on the ground. It seems uh, like the real work of the agency. Yes. Oh, it, it truthfully is. It truthfully is. And I, I think um, I think you talk to a lot of people in the national office and 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 it, it the message doesn't always come across from them, you know, because. Because the national office, you know, they have to be unified and figure out what you know what their marching orders are and 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 how they're going to present it. But you talk to most people on an individual level, and and they they do recognize that, hey, we're we're here because of the compliance officers out there in the field, mm-hmm. who are the ones keeping people safe. Right. Um, they do realize that. Yeah. So, so I saw, uh, you know, just just for some personal growth uh, to, you know see what it's like to become a manager. I, I don't like dictating people. You know, I don't like telling them what to do, but I like uh, the aspect of mentoring people, teaching people new things. And so I, I just saw that as a, a natural fit and uh, do whatever I could to pass along the knowledge I'd gained to this this new staff. And um, I did that job for uh, about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, and... Well, let me tell you, that is going to suit you well as a consultant. Sure. Because that's what we do as consultants. We pass along information. We give guidance, counsel, whatever that is. We don't dictate, as you know. Right. And, and I think that's going to help you immensely. And that's really the intent of this podcast is just to you know, provide insights and experience and information that 
that uh, the listeners may may not have had an opportunity to pick up along the way. So, man, I, I am thrilled that you are back. And um, yeah, I know, we'll work well together. I already know that. And so I'm, I'm excited to have you back, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, wow, 2020 was a strange year. <laughs> <laughs> it was indeed. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I had no intentions of, of leaving the agency or uh, relocating back to the Midwest from the East Coast after making such a big move. But, um, you know, my, my better half, she's got a, a very successful career that, that I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the move made perfect sense to come back be close to family, be close to people we know. And, um, you know, it, it was a, kind of a turning point for me about what I wanted to do. It wasn't that I was unhappy working for the agency. It's just I I figured after, you know, the amount of time I put in, maybe it's time to go try a new venture. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm very fortunate to have uh, met up with you, Doug. And, you know, our, our primary focus is to really help people be mm-hmm. safe mm-hmm. and and, you know, OSHA's not the only ones doing that role to help people right. keep people safe. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a collaborative team effort, truthfully. I mean, they certainly can't do everything. And I think that that helps us to some degree understanding what the agency's mission is, what they're attempting to do, what their limitations are, um, where we can fit in to help. You know, I mean, I think we all want the same thing in the end, employee safety and well-being. And so I think it's a really natural fit. And I know you're going to do great. You know, you're going to thrive in this new role. Um, it is, I'm, I'm kind of like you though, man. I, other than a few things that happened along the way, I would probably still be with the agency as well. I mean, I'd be a, ready to retire, <laughs> you know, but um, I, it was kind of a love-hate thing for me. You know, <laughs> I loved some of the work, some of the opportunity, the networking. You know, there were some incredibly talented people in the agency I mean, there's dead weight, just like there is in any government agency. Oh, sure. and I've worked for other government agencies, but there were some real real stars in the agency that I learned from and was mentored by, and I, and I appreciated that. Um, but, yeah, man, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the future, and that's, that's exciting. Um, so we are going to con- hopefully be able to continue doing these periodically. There's so much that we can talk about. I'd love to talk about, you know, the OSHA Training Institute and how we oh, yeah. become compliance officers and all of those kind of experiences. But there are some things that are somewhat timely that I'd like to touch on. So, um, and, and everybody knows the ground rules. When we first started this podcast a year ago, I tried to make it clear that this is not ever about bashing OSHA because I, as much like you, I appreciated my experience with OSHA. I have a number of friends in OSHA. I respect the mission. Um, I had some philosophical differences and challenges at times, but those were exceptions, not the rule. And uh, so that's not what I'm interested in. But I'm also interested in sharing the reality of the agency, the challenges of the agency, limitations, things like that. I think people would be interested in that. But, man, from a a time standpoint, there are some things that are um, very timely that I'd want to talk about. So... First of all, just, uh, I think, record-keeping. We are rolling yeah. up on some record-keeping dates. You want to just... It is the season. <laughs> yeah, let people know what, what they need to be doing, um, what they should be taking care of right now, what's what's timely. Yeah, well, you know, this is the February. That's when the, the annual posting season is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I believe, what, February yep. 1st through 
is April 30th. April 30th, that's e- it. Man. Every year, mm-hmm. got to have, have your logs updated and the summary sheets posted in, in the workplaces. Um, yeah, that's that's coming up soon. I think, we, what is today? The 22nd, so. Yeah, in fact, I was at a client uh, yesterday, and that's, uh, they're, they're fortunate to have an occupational nurse and kind of sat down with her a little bit to go over a few things that she had some questions on as far Good. as what, what should be on the log, what shouldn't be on the log, so. Well, so let me ask you a question, man. And and when you were a compliance officer, you know, there, there are a number of different types of interactions you have with OSHA, uh, just basic inspections where your company name comes up on a list, uh, investigations, perhaps if you've had a complaint or an mm-hmm. accident or a fatality, God forbid, something like that. Um, and we approach those, or we did approach those differently to some degree. So when you were just doing a basic inspection, uh, what what involvement did you have with like the OSHA three hundred logs or two hundred logs back in the day? Uh, pretty much on every inspection. Um, you know, and it all depends on what the compliance officer's focus is. But if if you every good compliance officer will refer back to what they call the FOM field operations right. manual, and and it will direct that compliance officer to review the OSHA three hundred logs. Uh, at, at the opening of, of each inspection. Um, yeah. There, for, what, for what purpose? Uh, well, the main thing is to look at in injuries to see if there's any trends. You know, it, are, are there particular areas of this facility that seem to have a higher number of incidents or more severe incidents? And, and that's what the, uh, a good compliance officer will look at. And say, okay, I want to make sure I, I focus on this department too. I'm doing my general walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes there's there's some argument out there of, uh, well, you know, is a compliance officer unfairly expanding the scope of an inspection? Uh, but the kind of the general consensus has been, well, you know, if it's been within the last six months and they've now become aware of an issue, they're kind of within within their 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 rights to you know, look at that as well, too. Um, not say that they won't get challenged on it, and not say sometimes a compliance officer may try to go a little overboard on some things, but um, it, it that is really sort of the driving uh, force behind that in the FOM is to direct the the uh, compliance officer to where the hazards are. That, that's a great description of it, man. And that, so I, I can remember most of, the, most of the time, if it was a general inspection, it was a pretty cursory review. Yeah. Um, just to see, as you said, what, what was happening in the facility historically, what it looked like, if there was something that you might need to focus on when you were out there doing a walk around or something like that. But, um, and then oftentimes investigations, if you were doing something like an investigation, you would certainly be more interested in whether they had recorded those things correctly Sure. that were related to that incident. Um, did you ever do any like record keeping inspections? Oh gosh. I had to do those a couple of <laughs> times, man. Those were a nightmare. That is probably the one uh, emphasis program that I think most of the compliance officers were overjoyed when when that program expired. Uh, But, yes, I I was involved in probably about three or four of those uh, back in the day, and one of them being at a large uh, meatpacking plant. Oh, God. And it turned into a – a 10-week a inspection. Of that That's just 10 weeks on site mm-hmm. doing nothing but reviewing records and logs. Brutal. And, uh, you know, you really kind of question what, what, what was the value 
uh, to the workers of the government taking on this endeavor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason why the, the agency dis- discontinued that, that program. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because, you know, every decade or so, somebody wants to get their hands on some extra data and do some extra digging. So I wouldn't be surprised if from time to time uh, there there may be like a emphasis program related to that that might pop up. Um, but uh, it is time intensive for it an is. area office and to take two compliance officers out of the field for 10 weeks. I don't think most people understand, you know, what, what a burden on an area office that can be, uh, especially when you have some area offices that only have, you know, as few as five or six compliance officers and they're trying to cover a whole entire state. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, so, you know, the, the agency has to be smart about how they're u- utilizing limited resources at Absolutely. times. Yeah, that's interesting. But having said that, and you and I both having done record keeping inspections, man, oh, yeah. you learn record keeping. Yes, you if do. If you go through that, <laughs> that's, that, that was really actually, as much as I hated doing them, it, there was some value in it to the compliance officer yeah. because you, I, I don't think the majority of compliance officers really understood record keeping if they had not done an inspection like I, that. I, I sort of got referred to as a record keeping expert right, in the office go. after that. Exactly. I, you know, I think I, I got to the point where I, I knew more about record keeping than my supervisor did. Exactly. <laughs> so. That's exactly. And there, and there was some value in that, perhaps, or maybe that was a curse as much as it, I don't know, but. It just meant taking extra duty officer calls. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. Well, isn't that interesting you say that? Because in retrospect, I would say that record keeping questions were probably the majority of the questions that we fielded. I mean, there were lots of questions and really diverse questions, but I do remember, and maybe that was just simply because I was getting those calls like you were getting, Yeah. but a lot of record-keeping questions. It's it's not an exact science by any means, and so there are always some questions about that. Yeah, and they're used to I, – I referred to this uh, guide often as a compliance officer, and that's this is really how I learned the ins and outs of record-keeping, and – uh, unfortunately, um, I don't know if it's any, any longer available on the OSHA website. The last few times I had a very hard time finding it, but it was called the record keeping handbook. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember, I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was actually, my understanding was it was actually, um, put together, uh, via one of the Susan Harwood grants. The, okay. So it was a outside group. I, I think maybe it was a, a university or, or somebody like that that put together this 200-page comprehensive guide, and it, and it really went through a lot of scenario-based situations to sort of clarify and answer those. Well, what if you know if this happens in in the parking lot, and you know is, is it recordable? Those types of things, the the really muddy issues. Well, when um. When OSHA revised their reporting guidelines, I gosh, I guess that was back in 27, no, longer than that, almost four or five years ago now, 2016. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. <laughs> when, when they revised those uh, reporting guidelines, they, they pulled that from the website and mm-hmm. never really went through and, and updated such a great resource oh, that they had. So Yeah, that's too bad. It, those are really helpful, and I do remember that particular document. I used to have a buddy in the national office um, who was involved in writing the the standard, Dave Schmidt. Do you remember? Did you know Dave Schmidt from statistics? 
He was yeah. um, he was a statistician. Okay. Kind of, and I, I mean this with the utmost respect. Yeah. A dork, <laughs> you know. Um, and Dave knows that he's a he was a good friend of mine and really helped me a lot. But he was involved in writing. I think he and Jim Maddox might have been involved okay. in writing the record keeping standard. And so whenever I had really odd questions, I would just call Dave. Yeah. And just say, Dave, hey man, what about this one? And he would go, huh. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? And I'm like, Dave, you're the expert, man. You tell, you know, I mean, there were just always, you know, it was just impossible to anticipate every possible scenario. So yeah. there were always gray areas. Well, and, and that's the one thing I, I told compliant or I told employers as a compliance officer and, and I'll, and, and I'll continue to tell them this as a consultant. Oftentimes that employer is so afraid to make that call to OSHA to ask a question and, and uh, you know, they, I would hope they'd be able to get over that fear, uh, but but they are a resource. And if if there's something that you think should be on the log or or needs to be taken off the log, my advice is to call call your area office. You know that has jurisdiction over over your operation and say you don't even have to give a name. You don't even have to tell what company you are. Uh, last time I worked there, they still didn't even have caller ID at the. <laughs> Sometimes the phones would barely even work. That's right, but good or bad. But, but um, at, you know, ask speak with the duty officer or maybe the compliance assistance specialist if they have one, and, and just say, um, you know, I just want some clarification on if if this should be on the log or not, uh, and you know, and then I would just write down if, if it's something you're going to take off the log. Wherever you keep a note with that file, I just write down, you know, I called the office on this day. We discussed this, uh, you know, the, they suggested it was didn't sound like a recordable. Mm-hmm. And, and then that way you got documentation that you, mm-hmm. hey, uh, you know, you don't have to, there it doesn't have to be this fear, especially if you, you document how you made that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, you're, you're doing your best to, to be accurate and, and follow the, the rules. But uh, not to say that you should just disregard record-keeping altogether, but there was, I believe it was called the Volks decision a few years back. Um, and I think that's what really ended the record-keeping emphasis program was, was that decision that came down and said, OSHA can only issue a record-keeping violation if the inaccuracy pertains to an event that happened within the last six months. Right. So... Instead of being able to go back, you know, two, three years ago and say, hey, you didn't maintain an accurate log, uh, OSHA has to show that this incident was within the last six months they didn't record it um, at that time. Right. No, I would. Agree. I think that's great advice, man. I'm glad you said that because I would agree. I think that the, the area office is there to be a resource, and hopefully people have – I still know people that are reluctant to call the office. Sure. and. But, you know, um, but I, that's always been my recommendation as well. Just, you know, do record keeping in good faith, yep. to the best of your ability, and document why or why not you decided to record something. And if it comes up for discussion, you know, maybe they will say, I think it should have been on the log. I mean, unless this is some kind of just systemic under-recording or something, yeah. the likelihood of really getting beaten up over that is pretty yeah. slim. I mean, you might, you know, you might well, catch a, you know, it, but... And there were times when, you know, as a compliance officer, uh, I wasn't I wasn't doing a record keeping inspection, but I was looking at those logs and would notice an error, and and in my mind, I okay, you know, 
do I really have employer knowledge that this employer violated the record keeping standard? No. I mean, and even so, if they did, it was an, an other and serious, which meant there was no real hazard associated with not recording something correctly on a log. So I would give them the opportunity. I said, hey, I, I'm reviewing this right now. It looks like you have an inaccuracy here. Um, what do you think? You know, tell me, it's, you know, tell me, tell me what it was. And then, well, why don't you just go ahead and cross it out and make that correction right now, right here and now, mm-hmm. just fix it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think most reasonable compliance officers would take that approach. I would agree. Uh, you know, like I said, OSHA really has to show that, you know, they, they knew, they knew that, uh, it needed to be recorded a certain way and they chose not to record. Right. It. Right. Absolutely. I would agree. Well, man, so we've got the 300A coming up to be posted. So it's always a good idea to go back and reconcile your previous year's 300 log. Make sure that the entries are accurate to the best of your ability. You know, maybe you've had a few cases over the, the previous year that you were uncertain about. and Maybe you make the phone call um, and you've done that. You've posted your 300A. What else we got coming up that they need to be paying attention to? Uh, well, I, I, I know this... What about that electronic? Yeah, I mean that that uh, that's kind of been a OSHA fiasco over the last few years (laughs) because I I believe that was the at the end of the Obama administration they tried to say now you know going forward and uh, everybody's got to start submitting their information from their logs and then it was a great number of employers and then they they really dialed it back and it's changed quite a bit but I think it's is it still, if you have 250 or more, you fall into that category having to do electronic reporting and then certain certain employers in high-risk industries. Right. So That's exactly it, right. It's posted on the OSHA website uh, what those NAICS codes, or, mm-hmm. uh, codes are. And a NAICS code is, you know, sort of what classifies your industry. Oftentimes, if, if you're unsure about it, I my understanding is most insurance companies keep pretty close tabs on what NAICS you are to put you in a correct risk category. Mm-hmm. So you can always give them a call just to kind of get some clarification on what, what right. your NAICS code is or should be. And it, if you fall in that category for um, online uh, reporting of data. Um, but I know before when this first rolled out, OSHA was making everybody put in all incidents and then, realize what the burden it was and they kind of rolled back to just put submitting the summary data but mm-hmm. yeah i believe that's uh don't quote me but i believe like march 30th is generally the march, deadline i think march 2nd march is 2nd actually, march yeah. 2nd so yeah i think that's coming up pretty soon yeah too, but oh yeah if you've done your 300a then this should be a fairly easy task right but, so that's exactly right man and and so you i you are really familiar with some of the nuances of this stuff having just recently separated I know that originally it was like 250 employees at a given establishment or greater was automatic. Everybody. Yeah. So the big places all report that information electronically. And then originally they had wanted like the 300A, the 300 logs. They wanted like the 301s or something ridiculous. They wanted all that inputted and they kiboshed that pretty quickly. But if you're in one of those high-risk categories, which – basically includes manufacturing and construction, yeah. you know, then you have to report an establishment that has 20 or more. So yeah. that's the majority of the people that we deal with. I mean, there are some exempted categories and, that won't. but And, and not surprisingly, that, that kind of mirrors uh, the uh, 
the OSHA site specific targeting program. <laughs> Very clever. Uh, exactly. You know, they they're looking at establishments in high hazard industries with twenty or more employers. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that was sort of a this is an extra database perhaps to maybe look at when considering uh, inspection programs such as the site specific targeting SSTs. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, it makes perfect in, sense. In the past, OSHA always relied on another. DOL agency to get that data um, and employers would get this form called the ODI, the OSHA data initiative. And it was, it, it looked like it was sent as bulk junk mail. And so <laughs> right. employers would, I mean, it, it didn't look like a very official thing, but it was. And then mm. employers would disregard it and not respond to the survey. I mean, who gets a survey that says this is mandatory, you know? Right, right. <laughs> right. That, that, that's kind of like having those goals that we used yeah, to have so yeah. inflexible. <laughs> uh, but, and then the problem they would run into is through uh, an error and a mission or whatever, they didn't respond to this thing, and the next thing you know, they're getting an inspection and say, hey, you're, you're trying to dodge OSHA by not, right. you know, giving us this requested information. Right, the non-responders. So. Yes. So. Oh, yeah, man. That, um, that was kind of a cluster. And, and then and even the timeliness of it, by the time you submitted a paper survey to BLS and then yeah. they tabulated everything and turned it over to OSHA and then the, the National was, Office sent it back out. I mean, we were showing up three years later. It was later. always three-year-old data. It was ridiculous. And then, I mean, I thought the intent was reasonable. Yes. But, man, so I think the electronic system will certainly accelerate that process a little bit and will probably be a little more timely. Yeah, I... Th- OSHA revised the uh, site-specific targeting, the SST, I, I believe it was towards the end of 2019. Um, so that program is back. It had, had kind of gone on hiatus for a few years. Um, and gosh, that that was like one of the first programmed inspections that OSHA came up with like back in 95. Oh, yeah, man. I, I remember that. when I was brand new, we were – Rolling that out. Yeah. So, um, kind of lost my thought on that, but anyway, no problem, it'll, it'll, come, I, it'll come back well, everybody's to me, got but. Everybody's got a couple of deadlines they need to be aware of. Posting yeah. by February 1st and submitting electronically if you were required to do so by March 2nd. So, I really wanted to get that information out there. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, we've got about 15 minutes left. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about the rapid response investigations something that we've been talking about recently a little bit. Mm-hmm. This was this program rolled out after I left, so yeah. I'd already separated from OSHA, but this is the one that requires uh, employers to report certain yes. things and there are different time frames. And as you know, very I mean, clearly you were working on this yesterday with one of our clients. There's a lot of um, anxiety that accompanies yeah. this do I call. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think it was about 2015 when, when OSHA started uh, doing this, I don't know if you really call it a program, it was a, a change to the standards on, on reporting requirements. Prior to that, an employer only had to call OSHA if there was a fatality or a catastrophe, which involved the hospitalization of three or more employees. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that change, and OSHA said, no, you you now need to report any inpatient hospitalization of an employee um, within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And they also said amputations. Right. E- even even if it is 
a, a, a fingertip <laughs> of itself. Right. Uh, so, you know. It's a pretty loose definition. That it, it is. Definition. It is. Um, and I remember one particular uh, amputation I investigated. The guy still had his whole entire finger. <laughs> but because, I mean, he was fortunate they were able to completely reattach it. But because it had been detached, mm-hmm. but then fully re- reattached, it was still, by definition, an amputation. So, yeah. um, But, you know, uh, it, it's... I, I do believe there's there's value in, in that process. Well, um, some of that stuff went unknown to the. It really the OSHA. did. It really did. So and those are pretty significant injuries. Yes. When you get right down to yeah. it. Uh, and then initial additional to the uh, the amputations and hospitalizations, one that I had hadn't come across in the the five years of working for OSHA. Well, after this rolled out, was a total inoculation of the eye. <laughs> Or a nu- yeah, nucleation of the eye, but <laughs> so loss, right? I mean, complete loss of an eye. I, I just, I did never, you ever investigate one of those? No, no, and neither so. did. I, I've never heard of one. Yeah, so I why why that that was such a significant thing to. I mean, I believe me, I I understand you lose your eyesight. That's pretty tragic, but mm-hmm. it, sometimes you just wonder. It's like wh- why not just. Loss of eyesight, you know. Why? why who? Who decided it had to be? Yeah, <laughs> be the removal Remove the of the eye. eye so. Exactly. That is odd to me. Um, so when you were the assistant area director out in Philly, you were probably triaging some of these calls. So talk oh, yes. a little bit about that process, will you? So generally, uh, um, OSHA, you know, we have they have limited resources, um, you know, and there, there's there's a small amount of time that the agency has to act upon, you know, this information when it gets reported. So if they have the resources, um, you know, they, they may decide to do an inspection. Um, of course, if it's a, an amputation, uh, if it's a significant amputation, they're more than likely going to inspect. They're going to look at what's called the National Emphasis Programs uh, for, for Amputation Hazards, the NEP. And machine guarding. Mm-hmm. If if it if it has equipment that falls into that category, uh, more than likely the emphasis program say uh, you need open inspection. Okay. And and if if they're going to open inspection, the um, the the guidance that OSHA has says that an area office should do so within five working days. Open the inspection. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to open an inspection. Uh, they have another option to do what's called a rapid response investigation, an RRI. And what that involves is the duty officer will uh, get some information from the employer about the incident that happened. And uh, then, you know, once it's evaluated by a supervisor, they'll send a, a, a letter, sort of a, a, a pre-printed letter, and then it'll have an attached document to that as well. They'll be called an investigative tool. Um, and they'll request that the employer fill out that investigation form and kind of say, you know, based off your your knowledge, you know, what was the cause, what was involved, what was the hazard, uh, how many employees were affected or injured, and then what was the fix. So that that's the biggest thing. OSHA OSHA realized that there's going to be such a deluge of of information coming in that they couldn't send a compliance officer to investigate every single thing, but they wanted the employer to provide 
some sort of certification that they baited or fixed the hazard. Okay. So that's where this RRI process came up. And uh, if, if they're going to elect to do the RRI, their guidance says within 48 hours they, they should send that to the employer. Okay, so that's what's happening. They're trying to determine whether they want to commit resources to it right. or they're going to do it through this investigative tool. Right, okay. right. So, um, but, you know, that was a program that, that really uh, kind of changed how the area office operated. Um, you know, when we didn't have that program as a compliance officer, I'd say we were doing a, a good mix of uh, program work doing inspections off of a list, so to speak, um, and, you know, responding to, to the normal sort of plain view hazards that, that people see around town, people working out fall protection, residential construction's a big <laughs> one, people working in uh, exposed excavations. And it, I was always like, I, I don't, you know, every time you show up on one of those sites because you saw somebody not using fall protection or you saw somebody in an unprotected trench, they, they're always so so surprised that, that they got caught. It's like, all right, I'm like, you're sticking out like a sore thumb here, dude. Right. And you're right across the street from some old lady who's got nothing better to do. Yeah. 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 So no um, disrespect. That that was, yeah. So, you know, we, we, I felt like the agency at that time before this process uh, was able to put a lot of resources into programmed inspections and, you know, Unfortunately, sometimes lists got a little stale, and we ended up at the same place every two years. But every now and then, it was uh, we get to some place we'd never been to before, and uh, you know that's probably probably a good thing that OSHA came through because prior to that, maybe maybe once in the past ten years, they maybe had an insurance guy come through. Mm, yeah. But you know, maybe the, look for fire hazards. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not not to say that the employer was was intentionally being unsafe; they just didn't know. They right. they just had no knowledge of of what to do right. until somebody came through to mm-hmm. kind of show them away. But um, after this RRI process and and uh, expanded reporting went into place, it really shifted. You know of what the area office had to focus resources on, and it seemed I, I I'm not quoting exact statistics, but it seemed like. 80% of the inspections were now being driven by these employer reported incidents. Mm. I it, it seemed like we went it went from an agency that, you know, had tried to have this bounce approach to proactive mm-hmm. and and uh you know responding things to being more of a response driven agency. Mm-hmm. And uh it definitely put some stress on some offices and I, I it did. and I think what that brought to light is how understaffed some of these offices had become. You know, over the years, through attrition, people would leave, and then they weren't very timely about filling positions, and positions just sort of went away. And then, uh, man, when when all of a sudden these area offices were understaffed and strapped for resources because of this uh, reporting stuff, having to respond to, you know, sometimes five, six incidents in a week, you'd have to send somebody out to, and you only got four compliance officers in that week. Right. What are you going to do? Oh, so. my God, yeah. I can remember speaking with the guys. You know, I would speak with Darwin periodically back in 2016 uh-huh. when they first rolled this program out or made these changes to the inspection protocols. And, gosh, they were just buried. I mean, literally, I don't know, that first year they may have had 87. I, I don't know the exact number, but 85 to 100 amputation reports, yeah. maybe an equivalent number of hospitalizations. I mean, it was just almost overwhelming 
to an office that might do 350 inspections a year normally. Yeah. Just devastating. And so I think they have improved the process, the the triage process and those kind of things. But it's still challenging. Yeah. Still challenging, um, I'm sure. Interestingly enough, too, uh, uh, when, when I was working, you know, and the uh, – there was actually a couple audits done by the OIG, the Office of Inspector General, which uh, an area office is usually usually not the type of person they want to see show up knocking on the door. No, but God, no. but they were looking into okay, is this an effective program? Is it worth OSHA's time and resources? I think the general consensus of that audit was yes. You know, it seems to be a worthwhile thing to expend funds on and and to, to help carry out the mission um but they they did really look at some scrutiny of you know how how does an area office determine if this is worthy of an inspection or not mm-hmm. um and and after that audit you know uh the area offices said okay yeah we really have to be smart about you know are are we covering our bases by doing an rri um or are we within our our, our rights to go out and initiate an inspection on this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it just add that extra level of documentation. So I think as a result of that, you know, some employers that had to call OSHA before, maybe the next time around got asked even additional questions about, mm-hmm. about what's going yeah. on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say it seemed like, and again, not real statistics. I just make my own up. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. That's what <laughs> like, we do like, here. That, like, like, like everybody, <laughs> right? We, we just make up our own numbers. Oh yeah, we whatever makes it sound good, <laughs> go right but ahead. But I, I would say about out of all those incidents that, that would get reported, uh, about a quarter of them would warrant an inspection, mm-hmm. and the other seventy five percent would would be handled through the rapid response investigation. You know, because again, if it's not. If the hazard that was involved wasn't covered under uh, an OSHA emphasis program, um, and you know we just get some of those off the wall ones like, uh, you know, an employee pass out on a toilet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it just didn't really sound work related. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, give us the information you you have, and you know, if if it sounds like it's not work related, provide the regional. De- you know, yeah. reasonable description about why and, uh, you know, yeah. area office doesn't want to be tied up with those types of things. Right. So, Well, and truly, I think, you know, the area office's interest is, is there a potential that someone else can be hurt by right. this? Right. Or do you have it under control? Yeah. Does it seem like it's not just one of those one-off type deals or, man, is this potentially well, and a problem? I, I guess the sort of the eye-opener to me that, you know, you, you really don't, think about this so much but the the number of people that pass away at work from natural causes mm-hmm. I, I mean mm-hmm. uh you know i mean we, we don't always really think about that in, in our own personal lives but it's like I, how much time do you do you spend at work versus at home i mean we spend hours upon hours i mean sometimes we see our our work colleagues more than our own family and you know uh, people aren't always in, in the best of health, and uh, I, I just was always surprised by the number of heart attacks that we get reported. Mm-hmm, People mm-hmm. had a heart attack on the job. Now, uh, again, if something like that gets called into OSHA, you know, if, if it's like an office-type setting, more than likely, you know, OSHA will deem that risk, you know, to do the RRI and 
really determine was this even work related or not right. versus uh, okay was this like a 35 year old guy that uh you know was in decent shape and was you know no working strength, a disease. strenuous job mm-hmm. on a very hot day that could be uh, you know caused by heat stress right so. right yeah that did require i mean and there were those too yeah i can remember investigating a few like that so it was always interesting um, and the information is really critical. So it, it is really incumbent upon the employer to provide kind of clear, concise information so that those decisions can be made. Yeah. Um, man, we are running up on the hour, and that sure. just went incredibly fast. I, I hope we can continue to do this. Um, I, th- I think we, you know, there are a lot of, st- I think people like stories. When I was the CAS in Omaha, and I would go out and speak to groups. They didn't care what I had to say. They just wanted to hear the stories, yeah. man. And, and so hopefully one of these days we can share some stories and and, and tell some family secrets perhaps. <laughs> but um, um, So if they want to get a hold of you, your business is Flagship Safety Consulting. Correct. How, how would someone get a hold of you? Do you have a website? Do you have an email? Uh, what, how do you want them to reach you? Uh, I, I do have an email address, and it is kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to them, and we'll post it on the website. Okay, but it's it's Ian Pool. That's all, one one word. And there's an E on the end of pool. Correct. Okay, Ian Pool at flagship safety consultants dot com. Okay, I'm, I'm maybe gonna figure out if I can short down that email <laughs> one of these days. But you know, I did one of those. Uh, all in one incorporate and we'll give you a website deals and yep. that that's what yep. was available. So oh, that, I, I went through the same <laughs> thing, man. Okay. Flagship safety, Ian pool at flagship safety com. Correct. And we'll have you back on that information will be posted on my website. So people can get a hold of you. And I think I would love to make this kind of a recurring deal. Yeah. If we can do it monthly or every other month or whatever it is. The last thing I would say is, if you enjoy this format and you want to ask questions of Ian or me, uh, just send your questions to Doug at FletcherSafety.com or Ian Poole at FlagshipSafetyConsultants.com. <laughs> and uh, we'd be happy to answer your questions. Tell some stories. We can talk about the biggest bribes we ever took or some of that's going <laughs> No, I'm just teasing, of course. But we would love to entertain your questions. So if there's something that you would like us to talk about, send it in and we'll do that. Uh, otherwise, man... It's good to have you back. Um, I I am enjoying getting to know you and working with you, and I look forward to doing that for a long time. So thanks for coming in, buddy. Thanks for having me on today. You bet. Guys, um, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. A Hoodat Media Production.